After the proclamation of God's word, let us respond unto him, singing from hymn 68, the stanzas 1 and 8. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we look at what the preacher says to us about time, time and our lives under the sun. It's a well-known chapter. Many of the verses, the phrases, will have been familiar to you. But now you may have a question. Who really has a lot of time to contemplate time? You see, life is very busy. How often do we not say that to each other? We say, hi, how are you? Doing well? How are things going for you? Oh, busy. Busy as always, we say. Now, of course, there are certain moments, certain occasions when we stop to think about time a little bit more deeply, perhaps New Year's Eve. You stop. You reflect. Where has the year gone? What did I accomplish? What should have I? What should I have accomplished? Or perhaps the graduation, your own graduation, the graduation of a child or a grandchild. And you stop and you think, where has our life gone? Where have the years gone? And, and, and what does the future hold? What after graduation? Or perhaps at a funeral when we are forced to stop and think deeply about our lives, our years, our days, and how we are using them. So there are occasions that we think more deeply about time, but on this particular occasion here in Ecclesiastes 3, the Holy Spirit would have us think not only about time in general, but time as it is related to our daily work. The chapter begins with that very famous, almost poetic passage about a time for this and a time for that, but you see that it is immediately connected to, verse 9, what gain has the worker from his toil. And then the verses that follow have a lot to do with work and labor. That is an important connection. After all, brothers and sisters, are our daily labors not so intimately connected with time? For many of us, our day begins with the chirping of the alarm clock, which signals that whether we like it or not, it's time to get up. It's time to get going. There's another day of labor ahead of us. And then before you know it, it's already coffee time. It's time for a break. And, and then soon enough, it's, it's lunchtime and, and maybe tea time and dinner time. And then, yes, even before the children would like it, it's bedtime once again. Perhaps things go a little bit differently in the summer months for some of us than they do at other times of the year. Nevertheless, 
we have all of these times, meal times, snack times, leaving time, arriving time, and it seems as if our whole day of labor and work and busyness is structured around these times. Well, brothers and sisters, since time is such an important, significant part of our lives, it's good that we have, one, a clear, two, a biblical, and three, a God-centered view of time. I may proclaim to you God's word this morning as follows. Seeing the blessing in being busy. We'll look in the first place at the preacher's insight into time. Secondly, Christ's sovereignty over time. And finally, our own Christian satisfaction within time. In verse 9, the preacher returns to the main question that he has been addressing pretty well right from the beginning of this book of the Bible. You'll notice that Ecclesiastes 3 verse 9 is almost word for word the same as Ecclesiastes 1 verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What he wants to know is this. You put in a busy, hard day's work. But at the end of the day, at the end of the month, at the end of the year, what do you really have to show for it? Something that's not just fleeting, something that's not going to fade away to dust, to rust. But do you have something that has real, significant, lasting value? And if so, what is it? This is the question that the preacher is working with. And by the end of chapter 2, He's already come to one insight, and that is this. If you work away each day again, at home, at work, wherever you may be busy, but you don't connect your daily labors to God, then it is vanity of vanities. It's nothing but a striving after the wind. You see, this also I saw is from the hand of God. Chapter 2, verse 24. For apart from him, you hear that? Apart from him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? Working apart from God is like chasing the breeze. But of course, that insight, as important as it is, is but the beginning. And it raises other questions in our mind, questions that the preacher begins to explore after that. For in chapter 3, verse 10, he comes to another related observation. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. So whatever your daily activity involves... You need to see that as a busyness, an activity that God has given to you. And often we get frustrated because it seems like we don't have enough hours in the day, we don't have enough months in the year 
to get all of our work, all of our projects, all of our ambitions done. Children already experience this. Mom calls supper time. But the kids aren't finished playing. They're having such a good time in the backyard, maybe in the swimming pool. Supper time already? They couldn't finish their play. It's time for dad to go home. But he had thought he could get this, 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 and this done. But he only got the first two and a half. And what about mom? Is her work ever done? It seems as if time is just racing ahead, full steam forward. And here we are, human beings, children of man, as the preacher says, and we're huffing and we're puffing. We're running as fast as we can, trying to keep ahead of things. But time always goes faster than we would like. There may be days where you think, oh, if only a day had 30 hours instead of 24. If only there were 10 days in a week, maybe I could get it all done. But of course we know that's not true either. And there are points in our lives, brothers and sisters, that it becomes frustrating, perhaps even overwhelming. Perhaps we start to resent it a little bit because the busyness and the clock, they feel like enemies. Enemies which are attacking us, enemies which are, quite frankly, taking the joy out of our lives. It's for this reason that the preacher says, you need to understand that God has given you the business which leads to your busyness. Very fundamental, brothers and sisters, working and being busy in our work is a blessing of God. Already in the beginning, God intended us to be busy. He intended our first parents, Adam and Eve, to be busy. In Genesis 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, not, please note, to sit back and just watch the parrots and eat the papayas all day long. No, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, work it, and to keep it, maintain it, preserve it. And you may think to yourself, well, what kind of work would they have had to do? It was a beautiful garden. It was all there for them, wasn't it? Well, one hint at least is given a chapter earlier in Genesis 1. There the Lord says toward the end of the chapter, verse 29, And God said, Behold, I have given you, Every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. So two big categories. The one category of food was the fruit. 
on the trees. That maybe didn't take so, so much work. You could pluck the fruit off the tree. But the other category, every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, that's things like the grains. Wheat, oats, barley, things like that, vegetables. And these are things that need to be planted. The seeds need to be planted. They need to be harvested. And if you're going to harvest wheat, then you need a basket. So somehow you have to design and make a basket and you need other things. And that, brothers and sisters, is work. Manual labor. You see, so often we focus right away on Genesis 3. And yes, after the fall into sin, the Lord did say that the thorns and the thistles would be there and cursed would be the ground because of the sinfulness. But that doesn't mean that before the fall into sin, God's people didn't have to put in an honest day's labor. Yes, they did. And that was before any sin, before any curse. So to work a day, to be busy in that work, is part of the way that God made it to be. It's a blessing, not a curse. Now you may say, yes, fine. I don't mind to put in a good, honest day's worth of activity. But what drains my joy is that it seems like it's always too much. It's not the business that bothers me. It's the busyness that bothers me. And yes, we do need to be good stewards of our time. Stewardship is not only for money. Brothers and sisters, stewardship is for time. Stewardship is for our energy as well. We have limits to our dollars. We have limits to our days. We have limits to our energy. And best, we recognize that and plan for the long term. But there's something else. For even when we exercise good stewardship of our time, it will be hard to find the joy in it all unless we see the beauty that God is weaving into the tapestry of time. You notice that the preacher goes on to say, not only has God given you your business, including its busyness, but he, not we, but he, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And of course, that everything refers to not only our daily labors, but all of those different things listed in the first part of the chapter. And what the preacher, yes, what the Holy Spirit through the preacher is urging all of us brothers and sisters is to take a moment here and there to observe that beauty. You know the saying, Take time to stop and smell the roses. God has made that beautiful flower, but if you don't pause to appreciate it, then life loses a lot 
of its color and becomes rather gray. But there's not only beauty in a rose. There's also beauty in the way that God is weaving all these different threads of time together. Because you know full well that some of the things in that list are not beautiful things in and of themselves. Start only with the most obvious one in verse 8, war. Who would describe war as a beautiful thing? It's brutal. It's ugly. It's hard beyond what many of us in this peaceful country can even imagine. What's beautiful about death? What's beautiful about casting away stones or breaking things down? Some of the things in this list, they seem to be hard, difficult. But yet, the preacher says, each one of these things, whether it's the grief of death or the joy of holding a newborn baby, whether it's peacetime and prosperity or all the hardship of battle, Each one of these things is like a little thread. Different colors, but a thread which God is weaving into the overall tapestry of time. And our problem is that so often we have our nose right up against the tapestry. All we see, all we look at, is that thread at that moment. And then either we're filled with joy or we're filled with sadness, we're filled with feelings of accomplishment or we're kind of brewing with frustration. All we see is either that time to keep or that time to cast away, that joy of birth or that grief of death. But now the preacher says, as it were, child of God, stand back. Take a few steps and try to see how God is weaving everything together. Yes, there is birth. And even birth is hard. Just ask the mother. But there is a beauty that after nine months of waiting, that baby is born even if the birthing process is difficult. Death in itself can be hard. But when you have seen child of God whose body is becoming weaker and weaker and frailer and frailer, there is a time too to go home and be with the Lord. You see, So often, brothers and sisters, it's just like with a tapestry or one of those big hook rugs. You know them? Each little thread has a certain color. And God picks the colors, he picks the threads, and he hooks them into the rug. He weaves them into the tapestry. But if we never try to stand back and look at the big picture, then we don't see the beauty. That thread 
may not be a very nice color. But when you start to see how it's connected to other threads and how it compares and contrasts, then the beauty starts to come out. Of course, there's one challenge with all of this, and the preacher knows that full well. How far back can we really stand? God has not only made everything beautiful in its time, he has also put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. You see, what we would love, and God has put that desire in our hearts, is that we could stand all the way back. We think, now wouldn't that be something? To stand back and see your whole life and how all the different times and seasons, all the different things that the Lord is weaving into your days and months and years, how they fit together and what does the big picture look like. No more than that. Wouldn't it be something to be able to stand back far enough that you could not only see your own life, but the life of your children, your grandchildren, the life of the Alora congregation, the federation, yes, the life of God's people, from our first parents right up until the very end when Jesus Christ returns on the cloud of heaven. We say to ourselves, if only we could see how it all fits together. Then we could rejoice then we could accept it so much easier, even when there are difficult things. Yes, we have that desire to see the eternal picture. After all, we are created in the image of God. He is the eternal one, and we also, in his likeness, have a desire for eternity. But God puts a limit, a limit on us. And though we may have the desire, we do not have the full view. We cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. You cannot figure it all out for your life, the generations of your family, let alone the Holy Catholic Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may say, well, that's rather frustrating, isn't it? I want to see it. God even puts that desire in me. But then he says, no, you can't have it, the view of it. Well, brothers and sisters, there's something there that the Holy Spirit has put to lead us forward. We cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Beginning, end. Beginning, end. We know those words. They come back more often in the Bible. In fact, they come back in the very end of the Bible. For there, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks. And he says in Revelation 22, verse 13, I, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. You see, beginning and end are not just two points in time, start, finish. 
But the beginning and the end are one person. The Lord Jesus Christ, he says, I am the beginning and the end. And because he is the beginning and the end, he's also every point in between. Time was, after all, created through Jesus Christ. In the beginning, John 1, God made everything and God did not make one single thing without making it through his son, Jesus Christ. And that includes time. And not only is time created through the Son of God, but time also holds together in the Son of God. Colossians 1 verse 17. All things hold together in him. That's your Lord, your Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, we live under the sun, the sun that shines, the sun that rises. And because we live under the sun, we're bound by time, a day is a day, and we can only accomplish so much. But God, including the Son of God, your Lord and your Savior, He's not restricted by time. He's God. He's sovereign over time. In fact, he holds time together. And your life under the sun, S-U-N, is by the grace of God lived in the sun, S-O-N. And when you live your life in the sun, S-O-N, by faith, then your life under the sun, S-U-N, takes on a completely different perspective. Because you know that even if you can't stand back and see the whole beautiful tapestry, you know your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is weaving together every moment, every day, every month, every busyness, and every business of your life. And he's making this beautiful tapestry out of it all. So often we look at our wrist, at the clock. We grab our cell phone out of our pocket to take a glance. We look at our calendar. Huh. Didn't get done as much as I wanted. Brothers and sisters, the clock and the calendar do not rule your life. The clock and the calendar did not die for your salvation. Your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He died for your salvation. And He, who is sovereign over time, He rules your life. And that's liberating. Amidst all of the hubbub, amidst all of the projects, amidst all of the busyness, amidst time racing forward like a steam engine full throttle, Christ 
sovereignly, steadily, competently, weaving it all together for his eternal purpose. You can't see the beginning from the end, but you know that your Savior is the beginning and the end. And that means that you can have satisfaction, contentment, and enjoyment in your daily work. How so? The preacher says, begin by doing good. That in the first place. And why do good? Well, doing good is following the commandments of God. In fact, that's where the whole book of Ecclesiastes will end. This is the whole thing, to follow the commandments of God. But it starts already here in Ecclesiastes 3, where it says, Be joyful and do good every day as long as you live. Why? Because then you're in sync with the weaver. You may not know which thread is going where, when, and why. But you know that if you follow the commands of your Lord, then you are fully in sync with his purposes. He will work out the details of the chronology. But in addition to that, in addition to focusing on doing good every day, also take pleasure, brothers and sisters, in what might seem to be the mundane things of life. Also that everyone should eat and drink and simply take pleasure. Be happy in what God gives you to do in your toil. And this, everyone should eat and drink. This is not at all wild living or gluttony or anything like that. No. There's something called a good, square, solid meal. And meals, family meals with friends, certainly add to the enjoyment. If the clock and the calendar rule your life, then sometimes you don't even have time for a good square meal. But if Christ rules your life, and he's taking care of that whole big picture. You have time to sit down. You can stop racing. Have a good meal. Enjoy it with your family and your friends. And take pleasure in your toil. Because even if you don't get it all done on Monday, you know that in the Lord Jesus Christ, what you were able, by his blessing and grace, to accomplish is not in vain. For are those not the words that we hear, brothers and sisters, so often also when we have to stand at a graveside? Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, not by your frantic activity, but knowing that in the Lord Jesus Christ, your labor is not in vain. 
And if it's not in vain, then it is to be enjoyed. It is a blessing to be busy in the Lord's service. Amen.